Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. On the fifth day of what we are rapidly coming to understand as the invasion, everyone is relieved when the Orion people finally step into the briefing room. The grand old man aside. The Orion people are welcomed with copious handshakes and coffee, and the quality biscuits with cranberry flakes in them are brought in with obsequious haste. The grand old man remains in his chair with his arms folded. He's read about the military-industrial complex in The Economist. He's always thought of it as a childish notion. It is a provable fact that the armed forces of this nation, and nearly every nation, exist as a servant of the free people. More directly, the lawfully elected government of the free people. And he certainly does not answer to any shady representatives of some fancifully imagined neo-capitalist superstructure. 
It's humiliating to find that this is apparently not true. It's humiliating to be left alone in a corner of the room at the age of 61, and after a lifetime of service, as the grey room section head welcomes the faceless, suited people in one by one, offers them coffee, asks them, please, to explain this. Because, to be honest, this seems more like their kind of territory. A decade ago, when the grand old man was listened to, and his orders were obeyed, and he was treated as more than just a pile of medals to prop up the importance of any given occasion, he'd have thrown these rats right out of the building and tossed their suitcases after them. But there's something in the air, as they say. The Orion people explain there's no need to worry. We've seen things like this before. Uh, You remember the Orsini incident? The town where, so it was claimed, every home became simultaneously haunted at once. This is most likely a similar manifestation, perhaps an after-effect of an unsanctioned local experiment in hostile architecture. There's actually no cause for concern beyond the ordinary. That's good to know, the section head says, because when you look at the satellite photos and the aerial reconnaissance, you start to think that this isn't something that can be kept quiet from the world any longer. And we've had other reports of similar activity elsewhere, which means that the phone is ringing all day from the higher-ups who just want an answer. And frankly, we just don't know what to tell them. The Orion people say they can explain all of it. They pat their manila folders. Let's have that coffee and go through it all together. They are supreme in their confidence, ageless in their wrinkleless suits, and their uniform smiles are as tight as their tie knots. The grand old man excuses himself. He stalks out of the briefing room, through the endless corridors of the base, saluting each soldier on duty in turn, just to get a salute back, until he reaches the hot tarmac courtyard, and hops into his car and drives, furious and mechanical in his movements as he yanks at the gears, and jams on the accelerator, and is away, past the barrier and the fence of the compound, out into the lush fields and Aleppo pine, slipping on his sunglasses so the world cannot see the lethal glare in his eyes. It takes him about twenty minutes from here to reach the border. The officers admonish the rank-and-file troops for referring to the border as a border, assigning them additional duties or punishing runs around the compound edge, because that kind of language is a surrender to nonsense, and there's no room for that kind of weak thinking in this unit. The land all around us is the heart of our country, and has been for centuries, occupied by our citizens, and there's been no foreign force winning victories over us, so there cannot now be a border within it, can there? The grand old man thinks of it as a border. After all, what the hell else are you meant to call it? The line of wooden stakes driven into the ground six or seven feet apart in the dust and earth of the fields, continuing for thirty or forty miles in a vast circle, gently diverging a few metres here or there to accommodate evacuated farm buildings, is inescapably a border. Because what lies beyond it is not here in any rational sense. They've sent in drones, of course, flying high over the target area before swooping in for a closer look, but inevitably, in a matter of minutes, the drones stop responding to direction, and the camera captures a view of the ground spiralling in closer and closer before the feed cuts out, and the drone operators swear amongst themselves 
that it's as if someone else has seized the controls away from them. The grand old man lights a cigarette and gazes out across the fields towards the southern city. Towers crawling upwards towards the sun, amongst the pines, swallowing them up as it advances through the trees, even a few hesitant suburbs and tiled rooftops sprouting upwards like malevolent boils on the outskirts of it. And changing as it goes. That's what all of the photography depicts. Just a few days ago it began as glistening glass and concrete, but it has somehow deteriorated over time, ivy crawling up its walls that shift to brick and then to stone, until you can make out buildings that are surely two or three centuries old, lurking in the cityscape. Things that are older than any of us. The grand old man drops his cigarette into the dust, steps down to grind it with his boot, coughing sporadically, and stops. His toe presses against something hard, polished, and round. There's a black cobblestone beneath his feet. Just a single, polished, inky black cobblestone, about a foot across, old and weathered and half-buried in the earth, in the field on this side of the border, as if the city's pollen were somehow spreading, fragment by fragment. It doesn't come out when he attempts to prise it up. Not even when he puts both sets of grubby fingers beneath it and claws, pulling with all of his strength, and he feels his nails twang painfully back under the pressure. It's as if this stone, emissary of the southern city, is rooted there in the field. As if it's always been there. But this doesn't startle him half so much as the uncanny, pulsing warmth of it. The sense of a breath, rising and falling from somewhere beneath the stone. The grand old man straightens up. What the hell? He mouths. What the hell? On the eighth day of the invasion, they find the village. The locals should have been evacuated. Blame is passed around. Everyone should have been evacuated. This place, close to the border, must have been at risk of the... It feels strange to call it radiation, but radiation is the word they keep coming back to in the briefing room. The influence of the southern city. By the time the patrols stumble across it, it's days too late. The grand old man is shielded from the worst of the news. They all think he's got soft in the head, he knows that. They they don't think he'll be able to handle it, or, or worse yet, they just don't think it's necessary to give him the full details. So he's kept away from the site, and only gets to leaf through the grainy photographs, alone in the briefing room afterwards. There were people living in the village, and their names are listed in an appendix towards the end of the report. The list does not match the names to the manner of their deaths. It is not clear which of the villagers must have run out or been driven out into their own fields, dashing headlong into the roiling, churning thresher blades of the combine harvesters, making soil of themselves for the coming harvest. There's no way of knowing which of these people were somehow unravelled, 
by an unseen malign influence, twisting sinew and muscle up to form the rafters and beams of a new church, standing a little outside the village, a hollow church of flayed humanity with its own goggling gargoyle eyes twisted up around its buttresses. Nor can you tell which of the villagers silently departed, kept intact for some unknown reason, drifting away in single file, into the trees towards the shifting towers, leaving our world behind for the southern city. All of this, even the very worst of it, is just shapes in the photography. It could easily be a scaled model or computer-generated effects. It's almost too much to comprehend as a real and tangible thing. Perhaps that's why it doesn't seem to frighten anyone else in the room. The Orion people call it intensive epidemic hysteria, and are at pains to explain that there's nothing to be concerned about. This is something we've seen before, they say. And actually, mass psychogenic illness isn't uncommon throughout human history. We're a susceptible species at our core, and when we congregate in the wrong places, places that frighten or disturb us to the extent that we're no longer truly thinking for ourselves, that susceptibility can have some remarkable side effects, as we found in our own experiments. Damn you, the grand old man says, unexpectedly. It makes the room go silent. He can already tell by the nature of that silence that nobody in the room has any sympathy for him or respect for what he's about to say, but to hell with it anyway. Damn you. These were people. Talk about them like people. You can't just look at everything they were and everything that was done to them. That volume of pain and fear and... and explain this away. You can't diagnose it. The Orion people gaze smugly back at him. What point are you trying to make exactly, sir? One asks him. The grey room section head leans across to pat the grand old man's wrist. She quietly suggests that everyone in this room feels the same way, naturally. But there's no use in getting worked up. An emotional response isn't going to help anyone. Naturally, the room responds in unison as if they've been prompted by an invisible switch. The grand old man wants them to understand that this is exactly wrong, that this is a situation where an emotional response must be the only response. You can't look at a horror like this and just nod and adjust and work it into your plans and processes. There must be a limit to our adaptability in the face of our own destruction. There has to be a line somewhere. He picks up his cigarettes and excuses himself. Just a microsecond after he bangs out through the doors, he hears the grey room section head speak. Sorry about that, she says. He is one of the old order. Don't think he'll ever quite get used to things as they are. That's all right, the Orion people say. Change is always hard. The grand old man sits alone in his car, with the windows down, enjoying the heat of the sun, thinking of nothing. That isn't true. We're never thinking of nothing. He's thinking, as the Orion people might say, about the places that have frightened him the most, 
the places that make us least like ourselves. For him, it was always Nana's bungalow. Red-bricked and cosy, at first. Set amongst a hundred identical bungalows in a sleepy seaside town. But this one was hers. And as the car pulled up, his parents would tell him and Jennifer to wave. Because Nana would be out on the front lawn of her bungalow, amongst the white rose beds with her pruning shears, or peering out through the net curtains, ready to welcome them in, brownies and tea. It was one of those houses that always seemed to have a face in the doorway and the windows. One that was rosy and soft and a little bit silly, like Nana herself. And it was some time after the funeral, nearly a year later, that they happened to be driving back to visit Nana's grave, and they passed by Nana's bungalow, which wasn't Nana's bungalow anymore. The grass was rangy and yellow, and the roses were growing wild, bursting upward through the guttering and pushing the roof tiles up and out of shape, distorting the entire structure of the bungalow as if it was ready to burst from within. And whatever was moving inside, in the darkness beyond the twitching net curtains, was no longer Nana. Was the wrong shape to be Nana. Look at Nana's bungalow, he'd cried out. And his parents had said something patient and patronising, like, You have to remember, Timothy, it isn't Nana's bungalow anymore. He couldn't understand that. If it wasn't Nana's bungalow anymore then who did it belong to? That gnawed at him for years, and no matter how horrible the shape of the mangled bungalow was, the ruined walls, the distorted roof, the net curtains that twitched like eyelids, he kept dreaming of one day walking out down the street and finding himself in front of the door, which was no longer Nana's, amongst the winding and thorny rose bushes, which were no longer Nana's, and turning the handle to step into the threshold. It's something, all right, to live in terror of knowing, to need to know all the same. Because there's peace in that final instant of the nightmare where you gaze into the true face of something at long last and you realise that all your life you've only been seeing things sideways. The grand old man stirs from his reverie his troops are abandoning their posts. All across the compound, his soldiers are strolling calmly away from their positions, dropping their rifles where they stand, loading themselves into the waiting trucks and jeeps. In the glare of the sun, he can't see their faces. He steps out of his car and begins to jog after them, screaming, Stop! Stop! I order you to stop! Boys! Boys, come back! What are you doing? He doesn't know any of their names. But it doesn't matter. They aren't listening to him anymore. They don't respond to the calls on the radio from the increasingly panicked operator. When they get to the gate, they just barrel on through. The soldiers drive in single file, away from the compound, across the border, into the heart of the southern city, as if what our world has to offer them is simply no longer enough. (laughs) 
There's no cause for alarm, the Orion people explain. Their smiles remain slick. In time, the troops may be recoverable. And even if the worst should occur, it is clear from the behaviour of the southern city that the deserters will not be used as enemy soldiers, more as raw material for its own peculiar needs. In concrete terms, this is just the same as if they'd lost civilians. Besides, we have our own people we can bring in, who are more accustomed to handling situations like this. Relief floods through the faces of the room, as if everyone is glad that their authority can, in fact, be taken away. The grand old man raises a hand and asks the Orion people sweetly about the rumours that he's heard from elsewhere in the compound. That the radios are starting up all by themselves. That the operators are hearing strange missives, mad whispers that make no sense at all, even contradictory orders from people who claim that they too are working for Orion and have all the right passcodes, as if there was some splinter cell of doppelgangers hidden away within the southern city, delivering deranged orders and shipment requests, telling our troops to go out on fact-finding missions past the border at the next opportunity. What about the emails that they've all received from mangled addresses? What about the one that simply advises them, in all caps, JUMP. 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 The Orion people are still smiling, but with a sweaty quality that indicates he might have touched a nerve. You don't know what this city is, he tells them. There's no underlying order here that you alone are capable of mapping. You're a bunch of jumped-up architects, and you're going to get us all killed by being so goddamn certain about it all. That's not... someone begins. He slams his palm on the table to kill the interruption, and says, Let's talk about how we destroy it. And for the first time in years, the room listens to him. They begin to talk about airstrikes, even the nuclear option, some way of taking down the southern city, should it come to it. And it's perhaps eight or ten minutes before the Orion people interject humbly to explain that it is the organisation's preference that the city be kept intact, if at all possible. For future study. Naturally, the room says as one, oh, naturally, these are merely contingencies. I think all of us understand what's truly at stake here. The grand old man steps out to smoke, and to be out of there. He takes a left turn that turns out to be a right turn, and enters a shadowy corridor that he does not recognise, and it's only when he plunges forward through another door and into a second flickering corridor, and through the next door, that he finds himself back in a place that he recognises. Perhaps I am getting old, he thinks. Like they say, I've grown susceptible. Perhaps this world is better left to the people who feel nothing. He steps out into the sunlit yard, pats his pockets down for his cigarettes, and gazes out at the shimmering, distant spires of the southern city, rising higher and higher over the woods and the hills. And he reflects briefly that it's long past time he retired from all of this. Overhead, the compound loudspeakers crackle and speak. Jump, they say. Jump. Jump. It's then, for the first time, 
that he suspects it may already be too late. The attack comes at dawn on the 14th day. And if the Orion people understand the significance of that, they have no chance to explain it. Because as the grand old man drives his car up past the open gates and into the compound, the sirens are already beginning to wail. He puts his foot down on the accelerator and drives. One group of soldiers are ahead and to the right of him, hurrying to their given positions, but he watches as they stop and stare at what lies before them because... Somehow the city has got into the compound. A glistening, shapeless tower of glass and metal stands before them, twisting up and around, so elegant in its design and so smooth in its infrastructure that you could almost believe it's moving. Almost believe that it has reared up and snaked down to bury its spires into the bellies of the uniformed men below, carrying them far upwards into the sky could almost believe that the grotesque black weathercock spiralling in the wind high above the tower were once men, and their expressions of agony anything more than aesthetic. But nothing has moved, and there are no men, and the tower has always stood there on the tarmac. The grand old man parks the car close to the main compound building, gets out, and runs. As he batters through the doorway, he can hear a voice on the tannoy, calling his name, welcoming him home, and he ignores it. He ignores the figures who are standing in the corridors, reaching out to him, dashing through into the briefing room, to find it almost deserted. The grey room section head sits there, alone, at the head of the table. Her face is in her hands. The grand old man says, We're fucked. He doesn't mean to be crude, he just genuinely can't think of another word that gets across the severity of their situation. I know, she says, God, I know, I just, I don't know what to do anymore. Send out the airstrike, he tells her. Bomb it. Do whatever you have to do. The radio room's gone, she replies. What do you mean, gone? I mean it's gone, Tim. There's something else where it used to stand. And the field radios are all talking to me, and the guards have gone, and nobody seems to be listening out there anymore. This is happening elsewhere, he says. We can't be the only ones. How far is it spreading? We must be able to get some idea. We need to tell someone about this. The tannoy crackles above them. It calls for the section head to report in to command at once jump to it. Something changes in her face. She gets to her feet. No, 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 he hisses, grabbing her by the arm. We're command. That's us. There isn't anybody else. She shrugs him off, turns and stalks away through the double doors. By the time he comes out after her, she's nowhere to be seen. We've lost, he thinks, and the thought strikes him as absolutely hysterical. We haven't even struck a blow and we've lost already. The grand old man comes to a final decision. Retreat. He runs. Back through the winding corridors of the compound building, 
sweat dripping down his face as he wheezes and pants and keeps on running until he collapses out through the double doors into the air again. And by now, everything is burning and everyone is screaming, but he ignores them all as he leaps into his car, puts it into gear, ready to go, and then sees something in his rearview mirror that makes him stop dead in his tracks. Nana's bungalow is in the middle of the compound yard. There's no explanation for it, but it can't possibly be anything else. Her bungalow, with the tipping roof and the white roses growing wild and vicious up around the lace-curtained windows, is standing in the centre of the compound, amongst the low bomb-proof storage units and the screaming men who are dashing back and forth. As if it's always been there. He stares and begins to giggle to himself because he's felt like a bystander for so long during all of this. But this, at long last, this is for him. The grand old man steps out of his car and begins to walk across the compound yard, watching for a sign of life twitching from behind the lace curtains. Soldiers barrel into him, yelling his name or pointing at something unseen in the distance. He gently waves them off, and keeps walking. This is for me, he tells them proudly. This, at long last, is something made for me. Something behind him is exploding. It doesn't matter. As he reaches the stoop, he feels as small as he did back then, the doorknob vast in his hand, the hallway dark and cavernous before him, as the bungalow door swings open with a gentle jingle of bells. He steps through the threshold. It doesn't end when he expects it to. If he'd thought about it, he was expecting release, an ending, perhaps even a kind of truth behind it all. For the veil of this world to shift and alter, and peel back in death to reveal something else. Instead, he is the one who changes. He is the one who peels back. His muscle and fat expanding, popping the buttons of the useless uniform, and shaking the medals free, eyeballs and bone abandoning their old pedantic shape in favour of something new. The grand old man becomes grander, growing to fill the depths of his bungalow. He spreads out into room after room, rising to the ceiling and sinking into the floorboards, until he is straining against every window and cracking the bounds of every pipe, and finally he is somewhere he truly belongs. Perhaps there is no greater meaning than that. And we must be grateful for the small victories that come about by chance in a disordered universe, as when the four remaining Orion people come shrieking through the compound, fleeing from something awful and unseen in the chaos all around them, and they dash up to the sanctuary of Nana's bungalow, tearing open the door and throwing themselves inwards, and the grand old man's many new mouths open up to welcome them home. They resist, a little. He doesn't begrudge them it. Change is always hard. 
after he's fed, he rests. Beyond the lace curtains of the window, as the city expands outwards and upwards. New streets and new rooftops, darkening and aging in the twilight. And as the shadows grow, new citizens step out to find their places. It's a marvellous thing, he thinks, before he falls into slumber. A truly marvellous thing. To witness a new world rising. One that's willing, in spite of all your faults, to make you a part of it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.